John 4.27 is where we're at. I'm going to read that and then we'll get started. John chapter 4, Gospel of John, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was, think, he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into a town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that Sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Father in heaven, I thank you for the opportunity to gather and to sing and to, to uh, proclaim your glorious deeds. And Father, I ask you to speak to our hearts today as we as we look through this passage, I pray that you would send us, God. I pray that we might make disciples who would make disciples. I pray that you might give us a portion of the harvest. God, we're asking you to, to move in our town. Father, we ask you to bring an awakening in Woodward, Oklahoma, and, and in the United States and, and across the world. God, that your spirit would, would bring people to life. And that, God, that we might be a part of, of that harvest. Father, we ask for... For ready hearts, God, we ask for um, eyes to see, and God, we ask for obedience in our will. God, send us out in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so maybe you weren't here last week, and so let me give you a little bit of a, a review. Uh, last week, Jesus is coming from Galilee, and he's going down to Judea, and he's got to go through Samaria, okay? The old King James says he must needs go through Samaria. Now, he didn't actually have to go through Samaria. Most Jews didn't. They went into Perea and around to the side, or they went along the coast, but Jesus goes right through the middle of Samaria and ends up stopping at a well outside a little a Samaritan city called Sychar, okay? Now, again, most Jews would avoid this place. Most Jews would avoid this people because they were prejudiced. They, they didn't like the Samaritans. The Samaritans were a mixed-race people. Uh, they were, at some time in history, an enemy of the Jews. Uh, we saw last week that the word Samaritan was actually used like, like a curse word. Uh, someone call you a bad name, they'll call you Samaritan. They did that to Jesus uh, later on here in the Gospel of John. But Jesus must go through there. He, he's got to go through there because he's going to meet this woman. And he stops at this well in the heat of the day. He sends the disciples into town for food. And then Jesus initiates a conversation, was very countercultural. People didn't do this, but Jesus 
initiates a conversation with a woman that he does not know, with a Samaritan woman that he does not know, with a Samaritan woman that he's not acquainted with who has a checkered past, okay? She's, she's an immoral lady. Uh, she, she, she's not accepted even among her own people. She's at the well in the middle of the day uh, because that's, that's when nobody else comes. And, and Jesus picks her. He picks her to actually reveal himself for the very first time as the Messiah. He's already done miracles. He's done great works at this time. But this is the first time where he's basically said, I am the Messiah. I am the Savior of the world. And Jesus picks this gal. The woman leaves her water jar. We kind of ended with that last week. I think it's a a beautiful little image there of the thing that used to captivate her life, of, of the shame that used to surround her, the reason she's there in the middle of the day her old identity, man, she leaves that behind. I think that's what she leaves her water jar is indicative of. She leaves her old old life behind. She becomes somebody new and she heads back into the city, this broken, damaged lady who's been made new by Jesus. And she goes into the city and she becomes a proclaimer of the gospel, inviting her city to come Two things, see a man who told me everything I ever did. In other words, this guy knows my sin. He knows my, 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 my brokenness. Could this be the Messiah? Come see a guy who knows your sin and who can save you. That's what she invites the people to do. And indeed, they come. Okay, so this incredible thing has just happened. Jesus has revealed himself officially to the first person, a woman, a Samaritan woman. Okay, and now this woman becomes the first person great evangelist. All right, isn't that awesome? She's had exactly 30 minutes of training, maybe 20 probably. And and for the, for 18 minutes of that, she didn't know what she was, she was hearing. Okay. So she's had basically two minutes to process what just happened. And she immediately becomes an evangelist. She immediately becomes a proclaimer of truth, an inviter of people to come to Jesus. All right. And the disciples come and they, 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 they see what's going on on and they're terribly concerned about the food situation okay um they're 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 caught up in jesus you know did you eat you need to eat come on who gave you food verse 31 meanwhile the disciples i I love the word meanwhile uh what was that show was like meanwhile back at the ranch you know that's like meanwhile the disciples like all this incredible monumental stuff is happening meanwhile the disciples are spreading the peanut butter and jelly you know they're, they're Rabbi E, you know what? Okay, so the first thing that we learn in our passage is it's hard to see the harvest, okay? It's hard to see the harvest. I, I, I think it's not an easy thing, in other words, to see the harvest. I, I think people can live their whole Christian lives and never see the harvest. That, that, that's a terrible thing when you, when you factor in what the harvest is, okay? What is, what is meant here in John 4 by the harvest when Jesus says, lift up your eyes and look, okay? Lift up your eyes and look and see the harvest. The implication there is that a lot of people, a lot of Christians don't see the harvest, okay? Now, I think we understand what a harvest is, so maybe we can, we can get that, okay? So my, my dad and my brother, they're harvesting, not now, they're in church, uh, but later today, they'll probably be harvesting again. They're, they're cutting weed up in Kansas, and, and it would be a tragic thing for a farmer to, to plant his crop and for it to, to grow all year and the rains to come and the sun and be out in the field and for my dad to not see it. That, that'd be tragic, wouldn't it, as a farmer, if he drives by and he doesn't notice the weed is golden and ready to cut. 
You know, if, if July comes and August comes and September comes and it's down in the field and it's rotted and he's like, oh, I, we had weed out there. I forgot. Did we, did we cut that? No. I mean, that, that is a tragic thing to not be able to see the harvest. And so what, what is Jesus talking about here? Well, the harvest is essentially this. Okay, so the seed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, work on our behalf was sown in the Samaritan woman. I mean, let's just put it in John 4, okay? What, what is he saying when he says, lift up your eyes and look at the harvest? Well, he has spoken the gospel to this Samaritan woman. It has taken root in her life. She believes and she is born again. She becomes a follower of Jesus. The Holy Spirit changes her heart. It transforms her mind. She is a new creation, okay? The old, five husbands, a broken relationship and immorality she's presently living in, that is all gone. She is a new person with a new identity. She's joined forever to the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. Stretching out in front of her is the hope of fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore and eternal life. That is the harvest, okay? That's what we're talking. That's what Jesus is talking about is souls being born again and brought into the kingdom of God and forever to live with Christ, okay? That is the harvest. And now... She boldly, joyfully goes into her own city and sows the seeds of the gospel. And many of them are believing. And many of them are being joined to the resurrected Christ. And many of them are being transformed. And many of them now have the hope of eternal life stretching out. That is the harvest. And it's easy not to see. It's easy to be concerned about what are we going to eat? All through the Gospel of John, what, what you're going to find is this kind of recurring theme about spiritual blindness. Like it's hard for us to see stuff that we ought to see. Like it's right underneath our nose. Like God is working. We're not seeing it. Remember Nicodemus. Man, he cannot see how a man can be born again. How can a man get back in his mother's womb? I mean, how can that happen, right? The Samaritan woman, when Jesus first starts talking to her about living water, she's got, you don't even have a bucket. You know, what do you, what do you, you can't draw any water, but you can't see. The disciples, man, revival has broken loose and a harvest of souls are coming to Jesus and they're worrying about PBJ and ham and turkey. Okay, we have a spiritual sight problem. The Bible describes this of lost people in 2 Corinthians 4.4 when it says the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So we know this is a problem. Like we know this is a big deal. Like that, this is why people don't come to Christ because they don't see Jesus' glory. They don't see his resurrection power. They don't see how he's living water and, and refreshes us and satisfies the soul. They don't see that. And likewise, believers can come to the point where they, they don't see the harvest. Where they're, they're not seeing what God is doing. All the, all the disciples can't see the fields of souls ripe for the harvest. All they see are Samaritans. All they see are idolatrous, Bible-rejecting, uh, rival temple-building uh, rejectors of the prophets. The, I, the Samaritans didn't believe in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Malachi. They didn't, they didn't read the prophets. They rejected those. They only took the law. And, and all, the, all the disciples can see are people to be despised and to be irritated with. And they don't see the harvest. Where were the disciples just right before they're talking to Jesus here? Where were they? They were in town, right? They were just in Sychar. They were, they were just there buying food, interacting with people. And they saw absolutely nothing. 20 minutes later, 
There's a crowd coming from Sychar led by the Samaritan woman at the well ready to put their faith in Jesus Christ. They didn't see it. They didn't see it. This woman goes back to Sychar as an evangelist. Many people come immediately. They believe the woman, then they believe Jesus. They ask him to stay for two days. And the disciples, they initially did not see that. One of the things that I want to get better at, I want you to get better at, I want us to really think about how do we get better at this, is learning to discern what's God doing? Like, who is he working in? Like, discerning open doors. You know, Paul prays in, in Colossians, he prays and says, you know, God, you know, pray for us that God may open the door for the word. Like, like I think sometimes God opens the door for the word and we're not, we don't, we don't see it. We're, we're wrapped up in a whole bunch of other stuff and we don't even see the open door. We need to be able to see where God is working. What, what makes you think that some people are open to the gospel and others aren't? That's a great question, isn't it? Like when you just think about people, when, you, when you're conversing, going through your week, what makes you think, hey man, this person might be open to the gospel or, or this person is closed? What, what makes you think that? And, and there, there's probably some good reasons and then there's some bad ones. Let me, let me tell you a bad reason. A bad reason is, well, this person isn't like me. You know, or let's just rephrase that differently. I don't like this person or I don't like this type of person. So surely they're not interested in the gospel. I really think we need to develop the skill of seeing the harvest in unexpected places and people. We need to lay down our preconceived ideas about who would want the gospel and what kind of person would be receptive to the gospel. In, in the Bible, really, the, the, the category of people that are receptive to the gospel is, I guess, the category of sinners. I mean, that, that would seem to be the category of who's receptive to the gospel. I, uh, turn to Matthew 9. This is a cool passage, again, talking about the harvest. Uh, but at verse 35, Jesus says, 935, Matthew, Jesus says, uh, and Jesus went throughout all, all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Okay, so he's looking at these folks who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Okay, so that would seem to be the, the target group for people that are ready for the harvest. Harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. According to that passage, it's not not that there aren't people that are harassed, helpless, sheep without a shepherd who who are ready for the gospel. It's that there aren't enough laborers sent out into the gospel or into the world. In Ecclesiastes um, chapter 11, there, there's some really interesting verses. And, and I'll just disclaimer here. I, I, don't, I don't know that I understand exactly the book of Ecclesiastes, okay? I'll just, I'll just be real honest. Like, it's, it's a mysterious book, okay? And, and so I, I don't know everything about what these verses are saying, but they're interesting verses to me. Um, I, I'm going to read several of them to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Um, look at verse 4. He who observes the wind 
will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Uh, verse 6, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will, which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Again, I, I, man, Ecclesiastes is, is written by a disillusioned king who's tried everything and it's all left him empty. And, and, and so, so it's a difficult book. But I, let me tell you what I see in those passages. In, in, in verse 1, verse 4, and verse 6, it seems to me that, the, that they all describe occasions when we would think this is worthless to sow. Like, I, who, who, who throws out their seed on the water, you know? I mean, you're just wasting it, right? Unless you're planting rice, and then I think that's what you actually do, right? Um, in, in verse 4, who sows in the wind? You know, you guys have experienced an Oklahoma wind before. You know, you got a 40-mile-an-hour crosswind. Well, who wants to be throwing out your seed, and there it goes, right? But what this passage seems to be saying, let me just... I guess, here's what, here's what I understand it to say. There's always an excuse not to sow, right? Whether it be the waters or the wind or uh, the, you're regarding the clouds. And, and basically it says, if you don't sow, you're not going to reap. Man, I, I feel like we are great at making excuses of why we don't sow. You know, like, well, the timing wasn't right. And, you know, well, I, you know, he, he seemed to be agitated or, well, you know, I, I didn't want it to be an embarrassing moment, right? Like there's all kinds of reasons not to sow. But chapter 11 seems to make one point really well. If you don't sow, you're not going to reap. If you don't put the gospel out there, you're not going to reap. Point number two. So number one, we need to see the harvest. Number two, we need to understand that gospel work is true nourishment for the soul. This is the most exciting part uh, to me of, of this passage. Um, but but look, look at what Jesus says here in, in John chapter four. Okay, so he says um, in, uh, let's see, where is it? Verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food, so they're asking him, you know, hey, is he, have you gotten something to eat? Where, where, where did you get something to eat? Verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say that there are yet four months and then comes a harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. So, so notice Jesus says, my food is to do the will of my father. Okay, so they're, they're concerned about he hadn't eaten anything. Okay, and, and he's like, hey guys, I, I've got food that you don't know about. Okay, now he's not saying he's got a Snickers hidden in his pack, you know. Um, he, he's basically saying that the, the work of sowing and reaping in the harvest of souls is a type of food that feeds the soul. It nourishes. That food, what does food do? It nourishes you. It strengthens you. It builds you up. It refreshes you. Okay, Jesus is saying here the work of Taking the gospel to people, the work of loving people in Christ's name, of serving people in the gospel, it nourishes and strengthens and fulfills in a way deeper than mashed potatoes and meatloaf. That's exactly what he's saying. Man, who's excited? I'm excited about that. Like, this is what, this is what we need. I, I was... Uh, was talking to my family about we went through this verse on Monday or this passage on Monday. And we were just talking about um, how often you hear people say something like, oh man, I was so glad I went to church. Uh, that really fed my soul. 
Praise the Lord. Man, I, that, that encourages me. Uh, I'm glad that you've had those experiences of, of hearing the word and it, and it feeding your soul. But I, I'll just tell you my personal experience. No sermon has ever fed my soul like gospel encounters have. Like when God opens the door for me to share the gospel with somebody, especially when there's those, those kind of radically clear gospel opportunities, you know, where like I've been praying for somebody and God just like brings them and opens the door and they hear the gospel and they're, they, man, guys, that refreshes me like no sermon ever has. And I, I think that's what Jesus is getting at. Now, now it's, it's interesting that it's called labor. Um, Jesus describes it as, as labor. You know, the, 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 there, there's a need for laborers. And, and in chapter 4, I think it's verse um, 6, I believe. Uh, Jacob's well was there. Jesus was wearied as he was from his journey. That, that word wearied is the same as the one over in verse 38. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Same, same Greek word, I believe. And, and so... so how can something be laborsome, wearying, and at the same time, refresh your soul? Well, I, let's flip it around. I believe that there is a type of rest that Americans are, are especially pursuing that actually does not give you rest. True? Like, like there's a time, uh, there, there's a kind of laying around and watching Netflix. There's a kind of sitting in your easy chair and scrolling through, through uh, endless Facebook posts that actually does not, re- they don't refresh your soul at all, okay? In the same way, I think there's a type of labor that actually is refreshing. And I think Jesus is talking about that. It's immensely satisfying. It's satisfying because you're joining Jesus in the work. I, I, have, no, I have no capacity to really describe what, what I think he's talking about here other than this, okay? When you're joining Jesus in the work, okay, I kind of look at it like a pipeline, okay? So if, if, if you're the pipeline through which the Spirit of God is moving in the hearts of other people, you have this residual blessing upon your own life because of the Spirit of God working through you, okay? That close cooperation between you and the Spirit of God refreshes your soul. Jesus says, my food, my refreshment, my nourishment, my strength is to do the will of the Father. It's to be in in, in the harvest. It's to be laboring in the Word of God. I I mean, again, it's not new. Matthew 4, 4, when when the devil tempts Jesus to, you know, step out of the will of God and, and turn the stones into bread. Remember what he says in Matthew 4, 4? He said, my my food, you know, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so Jesus is saying, gospel work is refreshing. And if you find yourself frustrated, if you find yourself just burdened, if you find yourself overwhelmed, and I, I just want to throw, throw a prescription out. Share the gospel. Like, like go target somebody in the work of the kingdom. All right, now let, let's, let's back up, let's pause, and, and, and let's do some def- defining. I, I think that's probably worth doing here. So what is gospel work? <laughs> what is gospel work? So what is this labor that he's talking about? You know, in, in verse 38, he says, I sent you to reap for that which you have not, did not labor. Others have labored and you have in, you've entered into their labor. What, what is gospel labor? Well, I, I would just describe it like this. 
It is communicating the truth of the gospel that man is broken in his sin under the wrath of God, that God loved us in our sin. He sent Jesus, his perfect son, to become man, to live a righteous life and to die an atoning death, to pay for sins. Jesus rose from the dead and he offers us life by being joined to his resurrection life through repentance and faith. Okay, it's just, it's just, communicating the gospel. And so he seems to divide this into sowing and reaping. So let, I don't know, and we'll say something here that I think these come together, but, but let's just go ahead and for the purposes of, of, our, of our head, let, let's try to, try to distinguish those, okay? So I, I think sowing could be distinguished as preparing people for the gospel. So if you remember the, the, the parable of the soils in Matthew 13, obviously there's, there's a preparation of the heart that makes it receptive to the gospel. And so when you speak words of truth and demonstrate Christ-like qualities in his name, when you plead with the Father in intercessory prayer for people, you are preparing hearts, right? So, so there are instances where you're sowing. You've got somebody they, they, that's close to you, you're, you have a relationship with, and, and they don't know Jesus, they don't love Jesus, they don't see his glory, and so you begin to sow. You begin to I like to look at it as fishing. You begin to drop out truths about Jesus. Okay, You begin to communicate in just small ways his glory and what he's done. And you bear testimony. And you give examples of how he's, how he's been so good to you. Okay, You are, you are softening that heart, hopefully. You're, you, the soil is, is being tilled up. Okay, You talk about your own sin. You talk about the wrath of God on sin. You drop out, you know, information about sin and the gospel, and, and it's, it's beginning to till up that soil. Let's use Jesus as an example. So what, what does he do with this woman? Well, he, he, number one, he engages her in a conversation about spiritual truth. Yeah, that's probably step one, right? There has to be some sort of bridge between you, 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 have, a converse, you, have, you have a relationship, you know this person, you have an encounter with them, and how do you get from there? Is this not maybe the hardest part, huh? How, how do you get the conversation started about spiritual things? You know, Jesus, what does he do? Hey, give me a drink. She's like, hey, why are you talking to me? Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Jewish men don't talk to Samaritan women. Jesus initiates the conversation, and then he, then he here's, his, here's, his, here's his turn, okay? If you knew who it was who says, do you give me a drink, you'd ask me, and I'd give you living water. See, there's his conversation turn, right into spiritual things, right? Okay, oftentimes that's the hardest part. I would encourage you to look up a, a John Piper article. It's on Desire and Guard. It's called William Wilberforce and the Launchers of Love. Okay, it's very short, maybe two pages. I think it's super helpful. William Wilberforce was a politician in England, and uh, he, he, he spent time developing what he called launchers, Okay. Now, what he meant by a launcher was an opening in a conversation with friends so as to launch into the gospel, all right? And, and Wilberforce actually, like, spent hours, like, with pen and paper, you know, writing people's names. Okay, here's my friend. Here's this guy I'm going to engage with. And, and then prayerfully, he's just asking the Lord, asking the Holy Spirit, show me some launchers, like, what can I talk about? What topic can I bring up? How can I serve them? How can I pray for them? How, Lord, how, how can I interact with them that will open up a door for the gospel? Isn't that brilliant? Like, shouldn't we be doing that? 
You know, we made our list of 100, when was that, last year? You know, like shouldn't we follow up on, on part of those by, by beginning to prayerfully ask God for launchers? Like, God, how, how do I get the gospel to this person? Lord, how, how do I open this conversation? So Jesus initiates a spiritual conversation, and then he exposes her spiritual thirst, her sin, her desperate need for salvation, and then he reveals himself. Okay, so I would say all of that is part of sowing. Reaping would be the proclamation of the gospel, followed by genuine faith and repentance in the regeneration of a sinner. Okay, so point number three. And, and we need to make this point um, because what we just said, the distinguishing of sowing and reaping, I think what Jesus is saying is in the kingdom, sometimes those get really narrow. They, they almost happen simultaneously. So point number three, the spiritual harvest is capable of rapid and amazing speed and growth. Look at, look at verse 35. Verse 35 says, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? He, that, that's the way it works with, with grain, right? Like, like my dad never expects to get his combine out in January, even though he planted in September. Like he, he knows it's not going to be January. And no matter what weather phenomenon happens, you're not going to harvest your wheat in January. But verse 35, he tells his disciples, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. Sower and reaper may rejoice together. So here in John 4, 35, when Jesus says, look, lift up your eyes, see the fields are white for harvest, there's only one woman who's believed. Okay, that doesn't seem like much of a harvest. But that one woman is being obedient and she's going directly into her town to tell people two things. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And already there's people coming out of the town up to the well to meet Jesus. Because of her boldness, because of the working of the Holy Spirit, man, there's no need to wait. Like sower and reaper are rejoicing together. Guys, imagine what God could do in the people around you. Like so many times we, we just kind of think about old uncle so-and-so, man, he's so hard. Man, God could break him in a moment. You could have a conversation with him this afternoon that would bring that man out of hell and into the glories of heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. There is power in the gospel proclaimed. There is power in the, in the harvest. And there's this great passage in Amos that I believe is fulfilled in, in what Jesus is, is doing right here in John 4. In Amos chapter 9, verse 13, he says, Behold, the days are coming, clears the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper. Isn't that a great picture? You know, the, the plowman's overtaking the reaper. And the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed, the mountain shall drip with sweet wine, and the hills shall overflow with it. Sower and reaper together. Now again, it doesn't always happen. You know, sometimes we need to be willing to sow seeds for years. Maybe your whole life. Now, that shouldn't be discouraging if, if what we just said is true, and it is, that the work of the gospel is food to nourish your soul. So we should be willing to sow seeds of the gospel for years, but we should also, we should also rejoice that God is able to bring the harvest at any moment. Number four, notice the cooperation of the harvest. 
okay? The, the togetherness here, the partnership in the harvest. Okay, in the physical harvest, usually the one who sows the crop, most likely the owner, is the one who is going to reap the harvest, right? But in the spiritual harvest, you may have a multitude of sowers, and you may never get to see the harvest, or you may never do any sowing and get to reap the harvest. Because it's truly the Lord's harvest. It's the Holy Spirit who is drawing men to himself. It's Jesus who is saving. And we're the workers in the field being used by the Holy Spirit in various ways to bring people to salvation. I was talking to my family about this Monday, and I, I just said, wouldn't it be cool to be able to see God's whiteboard, okay? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if he uses one. I, I use one a lot. I even have one on my white on my, on my iPad that I use. I'm a big whiteboard fan. But wouldn't it be cool to just see God's strategy for people, you know? Um, like for me, like what did that look like? Well, I'm going to bring Leona Logan in early on in your life, and she's going to teach you these Bible verses that will be with you forever. Whether you wanted to memorize them or not, you're going to know them. You know, and then, then I'm going to bring this gal into computer class. That you don't, you'll never even remember her name. She had red hair, long red hair, who confronts you on your sin and leaves you speechless, okay? Uh, speechless, just like, just has her Bible right there, bams me right, confronting me with my sin. I, I don't even, I don't remember her name. I don't, I don't even know if she went to our school. I don't know, but I remember that moment. And then he's gonna bring this guy in from Virginia who's gonna, gonna, join, gonna come to the wrestling practice and he's gonna whip you and he's gonna teach you some great things and invite you to play racquetball. And, and, and while you're playing racquetball, he's gonna be sowing seeds of the gospel in you. And, and then you're, you're going to have some really discouraging, disillusioning times in your life, and you're going to come to a point in the middle of the night where, where you're going you're to have this fork in the road where, where it's like, all right, you're going to go your way and be miserable, or are you going to trust Jesus? You know, wouldn't it be cool just to see God's whiteboard? Like, how's he using your words and actions to bring people into the kingdom of God? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 through 9. Listen to this. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are none, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. If we are God's workers, you are God's field. You are God's building. I just wonder if we ought to be a little more strategic in this even. Like I wonder if, if, if I know, if you're in one of my morning groups and I know you're targeting so-and-so, like you should, that's what, was one of the reasons you should tell me. Like, I, I should join in the sowing, should I not? Whether that's through prayer, whether that's through intentional opportunities to encounter somebody and, and, and serve them and, and maybe open the door for spiritual conversation. Sowing and reaping together. What a joy to be a part of the harvest. And I, I can tell you this, that... Um, some of my most fond memories as a kid. I would not have told you this as a kid either. I, I don't know that I would have had the consciousness to tell you, but it was harvest time. Man, there, there was just a buzz in the air as my dad joined with two other men and we brought, everybody brought their equipment together and, and we cut everybody's fields and then we moved to eastern Colorado. And just the excitement of good yields and the... Uh, the tragedy of a hailstorm right before we got there. It, there. There was just something immensely rewarding about being a part of the harvest. Man, give your lives to that, friends. Come, join in. 
Listen to the psalmist. Psalm 125, five and six. You know, Ecclesiastes, I think if we interpreted that right, it's like, hey, you're always gonna have an excuse not to sow, but you're never gonna have a harvest if you don't sow. Well, Psalm 125, five and six says this. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Even in times of tears, sowing is a way of hoping for joy to come. I think sometimes when we have times of tears, we're like, man, I got to deal with my tears. And maybe, maybe the most hopeful thing you can do with your tears is to sow in tears. Galatians 6, 9 has always been a monumentally important verse for me. And it, it's, about, it's about sowing and reaping. And it says this, it says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. And there's a promise, guys. We will reap if we do not give up. We will reap if we do not give up. And is there somebody you've given up on? Did you sow for a while and it got discouraging? There's absolutely a time to, to kind of put that on hold and, and sow somewhere else. I don't think there's ever a time to stop sowing. There's definitely a time to move and, 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 and sow somewhere else. But I think there's always opportunity to come back. Man, I know you, I know you have people you want to go to heaven and join the harvest. There's nothing that will refresh your soul more than being used by the Spirit of God to draw people to himself. Let's ask him for help. Father in heaven, I ask you, God, to help us. God, help us not to grow weary in the work of sowing and reaping. Father, thank you for the promise of, of the immediacy of the harvest, of the, the joy of the harvest, of the, the certainty of the harvest. God, thank you for those promises, God. And I pray that whether it be in tears or whether it be in the water or whether it be in the wind, God, I pray that you would make us relentless in our sowing. God, nourish and revive and refresh our souls in the gospel this morning. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.